0: You are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio, only here, LastWordOnSports.com. What's up, Internet? My name is Matt Pollard, and you are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio here at LastWordOnSports.com. Com. It is Monday, November 13th, 2023. My name is Matt Pollard. We have just finished the Frankenstein best of three round of 16 in the MLS Cup playoffs, and we now know the matchups and the schedules for all of the conference semi-final matches, and we are now officially entering the November international window with some very interesting matchups going on in CONCACAF. So I'm here to talk about that, and joining me to do so uh, from north of the border, uh, Raheem Bashir. Raheem, how are you this evening? How are things in Canada?
1: Well, uh, things are going well in Canada. Um, obviously, uh, a big moment in Canada happened yesterday when they won the Bini in to Tennis. I'm not a big tennis fan, but I know Canada won both the Davis Cup last year and the Finnish Team Cup uh, this year. So it's a big moment uh, in Canadian
0: sport. Excellent stuff, Raheem. So, um, and I suppose big in tennis, given where Canadian tennis has been, especially given as we'll get to in a minute, there are uh, no more Canadian MLS teams in the MLS Cup playoffs. So. We'll start, I think, with the most interesting and then or the, the most surprising and then work our way down. So Raheem, I want to start with Houston Dynamo versus Real Salt Lake. And this game or this uh, matchup, this aggregate three game um, series was an absolute nail biter. Houston obviously winning in 90 minutes on the first leg within a weird schedule where RSL was at home uh, a week ago today, this past Monday, and was a 5-4 victory for Real Salt Lake after that went to 1-1 and then again they went to 1-1 in 90 minutes with Houston scoring first, RSL coming back, um, and then Griffin Dorsey with a really big penalty. I think this was the most competitive of the round of 16 matchups that we had. I think it was certainly the closest one because obviously you had this was one of the few that took uh, to all three games and also went to penalties twice and I think that despite Us talking about Houston Dynamo as a potential giant killer at this part of the year, given what they're doing in the midfield, how they don't have any distinct weaknesses, um, and they're a very good team at finishing their chances, and they have a few different ways that they can hurt you. I think this series was really a testament to the grittiness in the fight and the know-how in tough playoff situations of Pablo Mastroeni's Real Salt Lake team. Who has in playoffs the last two years punched above their weight, particularly when they're at a disadvantage, either due to being the lower-seeded team or certainly when they're at a talent disadvantage? I don't know that if you can argue with, you know, the likes of Jefferson Sabarino or with Cucho Hernandez or um, uh, Chicho Arango, excuse me, mm-hmm. up top that you know there's much of a weakness from that standpoint. Certainly, uh, Pablo Ruiz being out for Real Salt Lake hurts them in the midfield vis-a-vis a a Coco Catasquia and a uh, Hector Herrera. But certainly from an upfront tacking standpoint, both of these teams were capable of scoring goals, and it came down to penalties. And in this case, you know, you had two misses for Real Salt Lake when they needed them. I think certainly the dialogue that I've seen on RSL channels in the last 24-48 hours was been you know, frustration about it ending and particularly towards Danny Musovski, who's been not holding out, but there's been some reporting on that, that, you know, he's wanted a new contract and wanted to be paid what he's worth based on what he's done in MLS and certainly didn't live up to the moment in some of those in ways that I think that Houston Dynamo players have proven that they can rise up to the challenge i think that we've seen that in the regular season against very good teams and we certainly saw that in the u.s open cup which houston won just a couple months ago uh Raheem, not sure how much you were paying attention to this series given the time zone issues and it being a western conference matchup uh but what do you make of this and what do you think that houston dynamo can achieve in the coming weeks
1: uh, so, it will be very interesting as they face sporting Kansas City. Um, the, this is the first time these two teams have met since, um, I believe, 2017. Uh, MLS Cup playoffs. Um, and this will be um, a very interesting series to watch. Uh sporting Kansas City obviously uh, upset the Missouri rival, St. Louis. Uh, who was the top seed in the Western Conference? Um, obviously, they've met, the, the, they haven't met each other for a bit of time, but this would be an interesting matchup.
0: I agree with you, and I, I think if this was, if this had happened sooner, there's history in this rivalry that the fans will remember. There's history in this rivalry that I think some of the much older SKC players will remember. If I think about a Graham Zusi or a Roger Espinoza, certainly a Peter Vermees. I don't know that a lot of the younger players, um would think of this as a rivalry or at least have that same energy that we saw when both of these teams were in the eastern conference and usually were meeting in the eastern conference final to determine who was going to the mls cup final as we saw i believe in 2013 so we'll see if this rekindles it and certainly one team that's been building up in terms of what they've done with the Houston dynamo and being a real pleasant surprise this season and then sporting Kansas city who obviously um you know who um Got the only big upset that you had of that first round, but I think certainly if you look at the form between them and St. Louis City, uh, was not as surprising. Let's move on, Raheem, to the Eastern Conference for the matchup, or one of the two that I thought was the most academic. When you had Orlando City defeating Nashville, uh, they won that second leg by a score of one to nil. And then let me look up, while well, my, computer loads uh just to make sure that i get the goal scorer right uh it was uh on who scored in the sixth minute and then basically orlando was just playing in front and managing the situation and i think just really disappointing from nashville that just they haven't had more bite and i think this playoff series just really showed how reliant they are on honey Mukhtar, and that shows a level of how flawed they are in this regard um Raheem, what did you make of uh, of Nashville kind of going out with a little bit of a whimper? And, you know, how much is this a proof that Orlando can be spectacular in the moments that they need to be?
1: Well, Orlando was eliminated from the playoffs quite early last year. So um, them getting past this point is uh, very important for a franchise that hasn't advanced historically that far in the MLS Cup playoffs. Um... Mm-hmm. If they can prove themselves going forward against a a solid Columbus team, which, um, and make the conference finals, um, that would probably be a big deal for the franchise and for the popularity, um, of the sport in the
0: Yeah, the, especially Raheem for me as someone who's watched Oscar Pereja with the Colorado Rapids and then with FC Dallas, this, this is the time of year where usually, he struggles or issues that exist in the roster build associated with his clubs become a little bit more evident. We've seen Perea have success in the regular season. We've seen him have spotty success in Champions League. He's obviously done very well in the U.S. Open Cup, winning it with Dallas, winning it with Orlando as well. But this is where this is where I think this is the one thing that's missing on Oscar Perea's resume as an MLS head coach, which is an MLS Cup, and he does not have a great track record when it comes to actually making runs in the MLS Cup playoffs. So we'll see what happens with that. I think for Nashville, I think you have to go back and you have to look at they really have an aging core where I think they really showed their age in the final two, three months of the year. Um, what it was, I think they only I think it was only one win in their final seven games in the, in the regular season. I still like Joe Willis. I still like Walker Zimmerman. Obviously love Honey Mukhtar. I still think he's one of the top five players that you have in Major League Soccer. But I think particularly in the midfield, that's where they looked old and where just tactically they look a little bit more simple and a little bit more predictable. Not saying that, you know, if you can, if predictable is passing the ball to Hani Mukhtar and expecting him to do something for you when you get him moment looks and everything, that can be a recipe for success. But this team didn't really have a second way of getting a goal or of beating teams in ways that I think certainly Philadelphia Union, FC Cincinnati, Seattle Sounders, when we look at the other teams that we'll talk about in this episode, they can beat you in a number of different ways and they can beat you even when you take away their greatest strength or when they're not particularly at their best. And I could not say that about Nashville, whether or not we can say that about Orlando against a team that's as good or better than them in form, we shall see. Uh, Raheem, I'll throw it to you on this one. Philadelphia Union downing <clears throat> New England Revolution. Um uh our our RSL, excuse me. Uh New England finished this game with ten men after what I thought was a really harsh red card on Mark Anthony K. But Philly just finds its way to grind teams and they find ways to get goals and then play results. And I think that was this is emblematic of Philly's greatest strength that they have going into the playoffs. And this is emblematic of really the weakness that we've seen from the Revs, who I still am not sure fully clearly did not recover from or rally around Bruce Arena's departure from the club. Uh, Raheem, what did you make of this? What does it say about the Rev season that, again, ends in disappointment?
1: I think for the New England Revolution, um, historically, this is another setback in trying to win the MLS Cup. Um, I think they were hard, as you said, hard done by the Red Card. And unfortunately, I think that might have played a role in the loss in the second leg against the Philadelphia Union. Um, and regarding the Philadelphia Union, um, it's going to be interesting because they faced FC Cincinnati last year in the MLS Cup playoffs. So that will be an interesting uh, playoff matchup to look at. Philadelphia um, won that playoff uh, last year. But it will be interesting how it will go this time, especially
0: with how good the season FC Cincinnati had. Uh, I agree, um, Raheem. Where do you think where can New England go from here? Because obviously they brought in Bruce Arena to basically win MLS Cup, and they were spending on that level. They still have, I think, a stadium issue with where they are in Foxborough. You know, they got a you know it was fifteen thousand that they had for a midweek game, for a playoff game, an elimination game for them which wasn't particularly good this seems like a we've seen this with dc united we've seen this with la galaxy where bruce arena wins a whole lot stays just long enough for them to win and then leaves and then they're kind of a, a club that's lost from an identity standpoint as someone who watched you know who's watched toronto fc go through their own identity crisis and turnover and everything uh what can you say about what new england can do here in order to turn the page and be successful, or is this an indication that they're potentially going to regress in
1: 2024? Well, obviously um, looking at the Condorc C situation, comparing it to the resolution, um, the TFC situation also happened because of a lot of uh, missteps. Um, the player's TFC, the younger players do not step up. Um, It's really kind of revolution are a good team, but they're not a great team. And I think with what happened with Bruce Arena and him leaving, um, I'm wondering how much of that of an impact that will have on the players um, going forward um, in terms of. Trying to win a championship because, I think the windows closing for them now.
0: I would agree that they're kind of in a they're almost closer to uh, to Nashville than they are to Toronto in that regard. Regardless of how much the team spend or the big impact DPS they have, they have a they have a key attacking player who they're kind of singularly reliant on, and they've kind of got a bit of an aging core around that player. I do think there's young talent around. New England with what they're doing with the Academy in ways that I don't know that Nashville has yet seen come to fruition. But I've got concerns and they need a they need a flexible manager who I think is able to see a little bit of a rebuilding the plane mid-flight as well. And we'll see how both of those clubs obviously do it. One of them has a head coach. One of them does not have a head coach. Uh, let's move on, Raheem, to the other kind of dud elimination game that you had, at least for me, which was Seattle Sounders against FC Dallas. One-no win for the Sounders, uh 36-minute goal from Albert Rusnak, and then just not enough from FC Dallas in the final third, really. Um, <clears throat> you know, they didn't make a change at halftime that I thought was really needed. Um, and then they ultimately only had one shot in this game. I thought they did a really good job and showed their best in how they beat Seattle in the second leg as well. But I think every single one of these series that went to three legs. By the time we got to the third leg, I had an idea of what was going to happen. That ended up being what exactly happened. I think it showed us what the two teams were, where FC Dallas struggles on the road and they can go long periods without creating a lot of chances or high XG and just being a threat on goal. And they're just a team that will sit back, try to absorb pressure, and eventually an opponent will be able to break them. And Seattle, despite being uh, put up with a really difficult, with a, interesting and uh, potentially problematic task of breaking down Dallas and finding a way to get a goal and then play the scoreline to see out the result. We've seen Ryan Smetzer and this crew do this dozens of times throughout the past decade. And so I think both of these clubs showed us who we are, one of whom is a very good threat to an MLS Cup, and one of whom was probably just happy to make the playoffs. Raheem, your thoughts?
1: I just think Seattle in general was just a better team than. Uh, Dallas. Um, when looking at all the lakes, even in the loss that Seattle had, they had more shots on um, goal than compared to Dallas, which is indicative of um, you know where Seattle has been for quite a long time and what they want to accomplish this year, which is to try and win MLS Cup. Um, I, I do like the matchup with LAFC. That is up the four. I think that is. Probably the biggest matchup because laFC have never beaten the Sounders in the playoffs. Uh, I believe they met each other once or twice in the playoffs, and the Sounders have won um, all those times, so that will be a very intriguing matchup to watch your
0: I would agree with you there Raheem. I would almost go as far to say I think the most intriguing matchup that we do have in these conference semifinals is Seattle versus laFC obviously we I you and I have a lot of respect for the Philadelphia Union and certainly what Jim Curtin and that organization has done and everything, but there's almost a sense of because they don't have a big star, or because they don't spend money, or because there's not the precedent of them having won a major trophy that required knockout competition – that there's almost an expectation of Philly has a very clear ceiling and that ceiling is not winning MLS Cup in ways that I think we could both say that FC Cincinnati could be considered a favorite for that. And you compare that with Seattle and LAFC, who both won an MLS Cup, are aspirational super clubs. I think at times in the last four or five years have shown to be super clubs or the best team in MLS at a given time or in a particular season. Of This is almost like the narrative between the two. And is this the continuation or a reemergence of the Sounders being the best team in the Western Conference vis-a-vis LAFC finally beating the one team that they've had trouble with? Obviously, they've had trouble with the LA Galaxy in the regular season. Off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. LAFC has never been knocked out by the LA Galaxy in the playoffs. So LAFC has always won that matchup. They have played in the Open Cup where the Galaxy won in the Open Cup so you could almost say now that Seattle is LAFC's um bogey team and so how do they go about handling that given the poor regular season that they had but then the way that they finished the regular season and certainly what they did against a Vancouver Whitecaps team that I rate as being a tough out and everything I think will be an interesting question and so I think for those reasons I think it's the it's the less good matchup because I don't think either of those two teams are better than fc cincinnati nor is either this current iteration of them playoff proven in the ways that uh i won't say that about LA. philadelphia's playoff bona fides are proven based on them getting to mls cup but i think these two teams are closer and so it's a Less interesting matchup because maybe you don't have the best of the four teams. It's the more interesting one, maybe in the sense that you have the two closer teams together and therefore the most compelling matchup. I would be very surprised if this matchup was a blowout. If you told me that that FC Cincinnati is going to dominate Philly and win 2-0, 3-0 or something like that. I would be like, okay, yeah, I could see where that's a very plausible outcome. If you told me somebody won LAFC versus Seattle 3-0, I'm thinking, oh, God, what went wrong? Who got a red card? Who got a lucky penalty? But um, in any case, move on to the final matchup that we had from this round of 16. And this was the one that was an absolute goal fest. You had... Atlanta United dropping that first leg to Columbus crew in Columbus. And then you had a 4-2 victory for Atlanta, then followed by a 4-2 victory from Columbus. I'll just briefly go over it. It was kind of a back and forth affair for a time between Atlanta and Columbus. It was 1-1 right at the start of first half stoppage time. And then Yandre Silva scores before the halftime whistle to make it 2 1. Um and then you had two goals uh by Atlanta to make it then 4-1 by the time we got to extra time, and you had a um Alfarston um, garbage time goal to make the scoreline maybe a little bit more respectable. And then in the second leg, it was just a third leg, excuse me, back in Columbus. The winner takes all was just an absolute masterclass from Columbus in, uh, the first 30 minutes, uh, goals from Darlington, Nagmi, Almondson, and Maton to make it 3-0 before you had goals from, uh, Gianni Makus. And then the two teams traded goals in the second half. Raheem, these were two teams that could score goals. These are two teams that had a whole lot of firepower and could take advantage of each other's greatest weaknesses. And I think where you come down to what the difference was is that Atlanta had, I think, one great chance creator, and one great goal scorer in Thiago Amada and Gianni Makus, and Columbus was the better team. And you had goals from unlikely goal scorers that were reflecting of Columbus's team play that then showed for me that they were the better team. I think rightfully so advanced and advanced in style on Sunday.
1: Um, credit to Columbus, um, they really, um, played well, especially the first, especially the first of the three games. Atlanta did not have a shot on goal, which was, uh, very impressive. It's very hard to do that. And I think, uh, for Atlanta, they started that third leg really badly, like, Um, it was a closer game at the end, but when you give up the first three goals in the game, uh, it's going to be extremely hard to catch up. You know, almost no MLS team has caught up from that. It's a very, um, difficult deficit to come up from. Uh, uh, they did try and come back, but it was too little too late.
0: Just a quick, um, post-mortem obituary on Atlanta United, Raheem, um, which uh, they clearly know who they are. I think that Garth Lagaway has re-elevated them to the status that they want to be in Major League Soccer, but kind of a, a little bit similar to Nashville. I think they were a little bit reliant on some of their star power rather than the other things that they were trying to do. They're a little old in the back, but the big concern I have is, is Tiago Amada going to be on this team come March? Do they get a huge check with a bunch of zeros from a European team? for him in January, and then how do they go about replacing them? Raheem, how much concern do you have about the stability of Atlanta or that what we're going to see the next time that we see Atlanta being a real MLS Cup playoff threat is maybe going to be a version of them that's very different from what this was, even though it could very well happen next year?
1: Looking at Atlanta, they obviously, looking at the history they obviously won the MLS Cup. Um, I think they're going to be fine. Um, I think it's a big improvement from last year where they now not even make the playoffs. So, you know, I, I think it's just going up from here and just improving on uh, making the MLS Cup playoffs and then uh, trying to get deep into it um, in the next few years.
0: Good stuff Raheem. Uh let's move on to the conference. Well, excuse me, before we move on to uh discussing the next round of the playoffs, I want to thank our sponsor, uh Athletic Greens, their signature AG1 formula is perfect for daily nutrition and your gut health. AG1 solves uh, several really important health needs. They give you It gives you the nutrition that your body needs uh, on a daily basis, and it also builds a foundation for long-term health. Together, this helps fuel your body and can impact everything from your sleep to your digestion, energy, mood, immunity, and even your hair, skin, and nails. Uh, check the link in the show notes uh, today to get started with AG1 Thank you to Athletic Greens for sponsoring Last Word on Sports. Raheem, let's move on to the next round of the playoffs, which would technically be the conference semifinals or the quarterfinals, depending on how you want to look at the bracket i'll briefly go over the schedule that we have i should say that we are officially in the international window listeners so all of these games taking place will be after thanksgiving american thanksgiving so on saturday november 25th uh we have orlando hosting columbus crew and that'll be at 5 30 p.m eastern time and then in the nightcap this will be at 8 PM Eastern. We have Cincinnati hosting Philadelphia Union, and then the next day, Saturday, November 26th, you've got Houston hosting Kansas City at 7 PM, and then Seattle hosting LAFC at 9:30 PM Eastern. All of these games are on MLS Season Pass on Apple TV in the United States. The one nationally televised game you have will be Houston versus SKC, which will be on FS1 and Fox Deportes as the early kickoff on the Sunday. Um, Raheem if you want to talk about uh, how these games are available in Canada not on Apple TV feel free to say so but um, Raheem I will throw it to you. Um, Orlando versus Columbus I think a team I look at Orlando and I see most of their goals are spectacular so I think they've got maybe the higher talent in terms of creating goals out of nothing. I still think Columbus Crew is the better team. I think these are two teams that are very competent and very physical in the midfield, so I think it will be about what happens out wide. I have no idea how this game is going to end. Raheem, help me pick a winner in this one.
1: I think this might be the closest one. Um, of course, uh, I'm going to say that Columbus time. Uh I think it's going to I think I think in the first leg, it's going to be a draft between Orlando and uh, Columbus. But I think Columbus will prevail in the end. In, uh, I think it will be very bad. I
0: could see either two So Raheem, so there is some confusion about the playoffs. These are now single game eliminations as well. So there's no two legs or anything. It's one game with extra time, I believe, and then penalties. And it's Orlando at home. Does that change your opinion?
1: Um, I'll, I'll say that Columbus will
0: win this. in uh it is a close one. It's, it's a tough one for me, to be honest. Um, I, if I had to predict, so who has the better center back? I think it's Robin Janssen compared to any of the Columbus crew center backs. But I just, I look at the experience that you have. That's been, holdovers from the team that won in 2020. I look at guys like Darnell Nagby in the midfield. And then I also look at how Columbus has maybe grown throughout the season. Aiden Morris has his big boy pants on now in the midfield next to Nagby. And Cucho Hernandez did not slow down just because Lucas Celarion ended up leaving the club and they've integrated in Diego Rossi a little bit better. And so I kind of maybe I'm being a little bit of a cliche here, but I lean on the fact that Oscar Bray hasn't had a really great playoff run with any of the MLS teams that he's had, even when he's had the talent to do so. And I do think there's been at times where he's been out coached in terms of the individual, like minuscule tactics. Um, Oscar Bray has maybe the is not very similar to Jose Mourinho, for example, not saying that Wilfred Nancy is as well, but this is a close one. Um, We'll get to pickups eventually, Raheem, so I will hold off on this one here. But, um, you know, I think you have I think you have a balanced team with not a lot of big weaknesses, Orlando, and then a couple key individual performers. I think you have better overall individual performers in some of the positions that are key for Columbus. But then I think you have a greater weakness. I think that. I think that Orlando will certainly or it will not be difficult for Orlando to score goals. And that is a weakness maybe of Columbus crew. But I do think that Columbus is the more high powered offense between Cucho Hernandez, Diego Rossi, what they could do on set pieces as well. Um, We'll see. I might change my mind five times between now and the Saturday after Thanksgiving in terms of who I have winning this one. We'll go on to the nightcap for the Saturday. Raheem, the game that you're the most interested in, FC Cincinnati versus Philadelphia Union, a team that has done it before in the playoffs that obviously has a lot of experience, but then maybe doesn't necessarily have the star power. And FC Cincinnati looking at being back after, you know, what they did to New York Red Bulls and certainly Cucho Hernandez, who's been on an absolute mission. And this is a team that will absolutely punish an individual mistake. Raheem, I think Philadelphia comes in and turns this one into kind of an ugly, gritty, almost a rock fight Um, with how much they press, uh, how much fouling that they do, depending on how much that's allowed by the officiating and everything. If it's a cool free flowing game, I think Cincinnati will be able to get what they want. If not, I think this will turn into, um, just an absolute athletics fest. And that's the one area that I think Philly can certainly meet them on. And certainly I think Philly's coming in, especially with what happened to them, what happens to them in knockout competitions. There's no expectation on this one. I think if you had to pick, if you had to pull everybody in MLS. They had to pick one game that they were confident of the outcome. I think most people would say this matchup, and then also confident that it's going to be FC and Cincinnati that's going to win that. And in that, I think there's pressure and expectation on Cincinnati, and Philly can just come in and play free. And as we saw with them against, uh, <clears throat> against, uh, NYCFC, that can be an area in which Philly thrives. Uh, Raheem, what do you see in this matchup?
1: Um, well, obviously, FC is, Cincinnati had a fantastic season. Um, Obviously, they cup, they won the Supporters Shield when they beat Toronto so they've obviously had a very fantastic season. Uh, the one thing that Cincinnati does not have, at least in the short history that has been in MLS, is playoff success. They've lost to the Philadelphia Union, um, I believe, last year or two in the MLS Cup playoff. I believe it was last year, and this will be a very interesting matchup because this will be the second straight time that these two teams are facing each other. I do think Cincinnati is the favorite, but there's pressure. I do think Philadelphia feels confident because they did eliminate Cincinnati from the playoffs uh, a year ago.
0: And then move on to the Sunday games. Uh, Funny, I just realized this, Raheem. Uh, We have both of the Eastern Conference matchups on the Saturday and then both of the Western Conference matchups on the Sunday. And if I just look at this, the only venue that would potentially have a conflict here would be Seattle Sounders hosting LAFC. I don't have the NFL schedule in front of me. I'm just going to assume then that the Seahawks are away the weekend after Thanksgiving. Um, But So that was an interesting thing by the MLS playoff schedule makers um so then we'll move on um maybe the one that has the not the biggest surprise here Raheem, but obviously it's houston versus kansas city we talked earlier about the history that these two teams have both historically and then maybe not so much recently in terms of success <clears throat> in the mls cup playoffs houston certainly resurging off of what they did and then uh, returning back to being a relevant force in the western conference and then kansas city who are kind of the the cinderellas the We had to play like a playoff team in order to get into the playoffs, and then the only team, the only lower-seeded team, to advance from the best-of-three, round-of-16 series that you have. Um, I think Cincinnati's really playing at a really good clip right now, Raheem. Um, I think certainly there are some weaknesses to be viewed and dissected by Peter Vermees and looking at the film in terms of what. RSL did to them. I'm going to do this again, Raheem. I have no idea. I, I'm not sure who I'm picking for this one yet, and I want to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Well, um, it'll be very interesting because obviously St. Louis is a lower seed. Um, you know, When I think of the lower seed that made it part to the MLS Cup playoff, I think of the 2016 uh, Montreal Impact, or now it's called PS Montreal, but the Montreal Impact, can they replicate, you know, that and make it to the conference finals? I, I think this is a very, going to be a very close game because I, um, obviously, uh, Kansas City is in fantastic form, even though they are lower seed. Uh, I feel like, you know, there's no pressure for them to win this game. And they feel confident because they eliminated that Missouri rivals who was the best team in the Western Conference. So they'll feel like they can beat anybody in this game. And I, I believe it will be um, a tough
0: hit. The one key thing from last when last we podcasted, Raheem, that I think is worth pointing out is Logan Ndembe, who had an absolutely fantastic performance and a goal in that series against uh, St. Louis City. I can't remember if it was a torn ACL. Uh, was it a... A uh, season-ending knee injury, yes, a torn ACL. So he's obviously out of the year, and also on top of that, gonna miss the majority of the 2024 MLS season. So then, I think it is a valid question then: what Sporting Kansas City will do at the left back position? Obviously, they've had Graham Zusi on, you know, who's been mostly a bench player um, the last couple of months, and he is mostly a right back. Let me just look to see who came in for Ndembe um, at the... Well, he he played through the end of the game, so it must have been right at the end of the game when he got injured. So um, I that will be an area of concern that I'd have for Sporting Kansas City, especially for... Houston Dynamo coming out in probably their four three three and the midfield playing a little bit more central and the wingers staying relatively wide. You know if that's a bad matchup or a weakness for SKC, that's something that we could see Houston Dynamo exploit. Um, you know a Griffin Dorsey, a Balassi, one of those players, and so that's something that's the the key matchup right now for me and maybe the difference maker on top of um, Houston Dynamo being at home that makes me has me leaning Houston right now for the moment. But uh, then let's come on to the final matchup that we have in the next round of the playoffs. And that is Seattle Sounders taking on LAFC. Um, you know, obviously, both of these teams were capable of scoring goals when they wanted to. This will be a home game for the Seattle Sounders. Uh, they've mostly been doing it without Nico Lodero and without Raul Ruiz Diaz. It has been the Roldan brothers. It has been um, João Paulo in the midfield. It has been Jordan Morris up top as well. And then LAFC, Well, I don't know that they played super great against Vancouver, I, I think Vancouver was poor in that first leg and much better in the second leg. And Vancouver deserves something out of that game, this is a team that is very much reliant on the resurgence of Dennis Bawanga, who is scoring goals right now. And so, um, I think for Seattle, it be a matter of what they do defensively against Bawanga. I don't know that anybody else outside of Carlos Vela is, um, a huge, it scares me as much as Dennis Bawanga, one V one with say, um, uh, Reagan, for example, at the back for Seattle Sounders, um, and I think Seattle can hurt you in a number of different ways. Um, Raheem, what do you see in this matchup from a star power standpoint? Uh, what do you see given that you know it's going to be a home game on the turf and I have to assume 50,000 plus for Sounders fans?
1: Obviously, um, they both have um, very um, big firepower. They're both uh, well, very well-known MLS some of the richest MLS fans league uh, with the big players. I think this will be a very difficult game for LAFC. Um, the reason is that uh, the white caps they're not their te- they're a good team but I think a big problem with the white caps is their inability to convert uh, scoring goals and converting their scoring chances. Uh, I, I think Seattle will punish LAFC. In, if they make any mistakes, I believe Seattle will, um, score. They have, like, players that have been there for a fairly long time, like Jordan Morris. And I think this will be a difficult game for LAFC. Um, it'll be, a much, di- the standards will be different than when they were playing.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, Raheem. You know, if I just look back at um, the 2022 playoff bracket and yes, LAFC fans, I'm aware that this is an LAFC team that is significantly different from the one in 2023. You look at it and uh, LAFC got a bye in the first round. So they didn't have to play in that first round. They played through the conference semifinals. So they only had to play three playoff games total all of last season. They beat LA Galaxy. We know what they look like Uh, that is a known quantity and a team that they feel confident in when it comes to playoffs. They handedly beat Austin FC who I think based on what Austin was this season we can say overperformed and maybe was lucky to get to a conference final rather than being you know a true honesty broker a true threat in the MLS Cup playoffs and then they won a very close game against the Philadelphia team that matched them pound for pound at times despite being under talented and so i I don't want to discredit or take away from what LAFC did, which was winning MLS Cup last year and finally winning that trophy and validating what they had tried to be from their first year in Major League Soccer. But we haven't seen them have success in the playoffs when they've had to go on the road, and we haven't seen them had success when it comes to playing against another super talented um team or another team that's a legitimate threat as well. They may be lucked out last year in terms of not having a major opponent. Seattle obviously missed the playoffs. They got derailed their season after the uh after winning Champions League. Again, you can only play the teams that are in front of you, but this is a legitimate test on the road against a good team that knows how to beat you. I don't think uh, what anybody really does outside of maybe an injury that happens this week that then uh, affects the lineup is going to significantly impact uh, how both teams play. So it's a known quantity. And I have more faith in the Seattle Sounders and Brian Smetzer in knowing how to win In November, than I feel around LAFC having to go on the road. So that has me leaning just slightly, but, you know, this very, very, I could certainly see Dennis Bawanga having his best performance of the season and scoring two goals and then having LAFC narrowly beat out the Seattle Sounders. That'll do it for our initial discussion about the upcoming playoffs. We'll obviously talk about them when we get to pickums, but certainly, uh, Raheem, we now have 11 vacancies in major league soccer or um, 11 MLS teams have parted ways with the permanent head coach they had who started the season. There's still some interim situations you have with Colorado Rapids who are actively interviewing and could be making an announcement this week or next week. Um, Chris litter who Chris Little, who's been the interim has been um, the is also a candidate for that role. You also had an interim situation in New York Red Bulls who obviously are just a couple weeks out from a week. Barely a week, um, from them being out of the playoffs as well, and I can't remember if there's anyone else. But, um, Raheem, the latest addition that we have is Montreal, who, despite taking a couple weeks, then parted ways with Hernan Lasada. Um, Raheem, do you think that this was the right decision, and do you make anything of the fact that it happened so late after the season ended for Montreal?
1: Um, to be honest, I'm a bit confused by the firing. Um. The thing is, is that CF Montreal lost a lot of players from that like 2022 MLS Cup kind um, of season, where they had one of the best records in the league. Some of it was, you know, to get money. You know, they went to places in Europe, which is a very big deal. That 2022 MLS, um, CF Montreal team, a lot of them played for the Canadian national team in the FIFA World Cup. I, I'm a bit confused because, um, they finished just outside of the playoffs. And for a team that basically lost well, a lot of the players that made their 2022 MLS season so good and now fired because they didn't play, um, perform well enough. I'm just wondering what direction, uh, this team is going because I thought there was a future. They were playing a lot, but, you know, I remember the CF Montreal headquarters talking about a lot of Canadians playing, um, for CF Montreal. I was proud of that. And I- I'm just a bit surprised because I thought they were heading into the right track because, um, this is a very different team to last
0: Completely agree with you, Raheem. And I thought Hernan Losada did a lot of really good ideas, you know, had a lot of really good ideas, and what he did tactically was interesting. And given the significant turnover, the fact that they didn't fall off a cliff, or at least certainly didn't go through long stretches of being really, really poor, something we've seen from Montreal when they've sold big on their players or had an aging core that retires and everything, that was really disappointing. Um, I think this is just like, for me, it's further proof that Joey Saputo can be, um can have a really quick, um, have a really short leash when it comes to his head coaches and making decisions like that. We know that Herlon Sada can be a little bit of a prickly head coach. Um, He didn't things didn't end well for him in D.C. United. And there were obviously a lot of burnt bridges and a lot of people who were relieved that he was no longer the head coach at DCU after his dismissal from there as well. But you know, I I still think he's a very good coach. He still has really good tactical ideas. And he's really good at bringing some young players along in certain positions as well. So I agree with you, I was confused by the firing to begin with, because I think just by Montreal, being in the conversation for the playoffs, you know, going into decision day was impressive. And the fact that they did that on top of maybe not spending as much money that they got and everything. And I still think I still think they're in a position from talent and a youth standpoint to again be improved in 2024. Um, I suppose my question that I have is who are they going to get? Who could be better than Hernan Lasada? Because Wilford Nancy ultimately left because you could not match his ambition and his quality from a financial standpoint. And since so many other coaches you've parted ways with uh, where there's just no time to kind of embed and really get things going that I think was certainly disappointed. So we'll see what happens with Montreal. I'll go through some of the other openings that um, we have right now. Um, Obviously, uh, John Herdman has now taken over for Toronto FC. Raheem, I'll go back to you and talk about that, given that obviously he was going to start towards the end of the regular season and then didn't. And then Toronto retired Michael Bradley and also won the wooden spoon, which was not particularly good. Um, But then you have Phil Neville, who's obviously taken over at Portland Timbers. I'm kind of confused by that signing as well. I don't know that he did a lot of great stuff with Inner Miami. And then obviously, given how important the social component and the character of a head coach matters to a lot of people in Portland, the fact that you hired a head coach who doesn't have a great track record with some of the public statements that he's made about women and everything, he's come out, he's apologized for that and everything. I do think people deserve second chances and people can change and everything, but I, I think that there were better options there culturally, and this might signal a transition from uh, Portland Timbers, given that they had Toronto, er, uh, Toronto Giovanni Savarese for so many years, and I'm going to assume Phil Neville is not fluent in Spanish to then speak to a lot of those players who primarily speak in Spanish, so this could indicate maybe a little bit of a rebuild. And maybe Phil Neville having some understanding of MLS and then also knowing that he wasn't necessarily set up to succeed super great at Inter-Miami. Maybe he's learned more. This could be a Ben Olsen situation. This could be a really bad um situation as well. Um, Troy Lassane is the interim right now for New York Red Bulls We haven't heard anything on that. I think he's enough of a Red Bull kind of guy to where I think he could certainly um, get that job at least I haven't heard anything about other major coaching candidates they have. Chicago Fire still has an opening DC United obviously Wayne Rooney left from them as well. I think Chicago is an interesting opportunity because they the one thing that you can say about them is they haven't been shy about spending big. They've just spent big poorly. So I think you need someone who's more of a CEO type head coach. I could see if Oscar Barea, who's in his last year with his contract with Orlando City, to where if he doesn't get what he wants from Orlando, regardless of what happens in the coming weeks in the playoffs and everything, could go to Chicago and see that as a big project in order to do something. I do like DC's roster, but I think similar that they're kind of rudderless in terms of what they want to be. Didn't work out with Hernan Losada, I think um Wayne Rooney was a stabilizing force from a culture standpoint, but wasn't tactically diverse in everything and again, I'm wondering who's the visionary that they have in the front office, and what's that vision look like and everything. Uh, similarly we already talked about what's going on with the new England revolution they've got a really big decision to make that could go one way or the other and then Minnesota United um, just recently parted ways with Adrian Heath after they missed the playoffs and Adrian Heath was the first and only head coach in um, in club history and I think it's fair to say like we've seen with some other head coaches who then also have a front office role where I think it's fair to say that the, the general manager in front office, Adrian Heath, let Adrian Heath, the head coach down. He, again, was a very strong personality and had a lot of big ideas, and he had been there a while, so maybe he wore a couple people out. But I'm really curious to see who's picking out the vision for Minnesota United, and what are they trying to be, and how can you get the best out of Emmanuel Reynoso as their franchise player, and then also the equivalent of a franchise player, and while simultaneously building a better team around him in ways that both at times not having Reynoso and then also not having enough around Reynoso was a fault of Minnesota, kind of a similar to a Nashville situation going on there. Um, Raheem, I'll throw it to you. Anything that you want to say about the other head coaching opening positions? And how are you feeling about uh, Toronto FC now that officially John Herdman has taken over the role? Uh,
1: I actually feel good about John Herdman
0: the reason is that
1: when you know when doing articles and looking at he, he likes these challenges these you know insurmountable challenges to change things so there are two examples obviously the Canadian natural Team is well documented uh, how he took a team um and you know made them rise their rankings quite rapidly and finished first and were qualifying. Um, I think the one that's not that well known is how he took it, the Canadian women's team. Uh, they had a really bad women's world cup in 2011. I think it was one of the worst of the worst, like, performance ever in a women's world cup, even worse than the one, uh, in this year. So, he, he took that team from, you know, finishing last in the world cup in the group stage with, like, zero points to a bronze medal in 2012. Um, and I, I think Herdman is the right person. Now, there, there probably are questions that he hasn't make in a club environment, but I, I believe this is a, um, good thing for Herdman. I'm actually a bit more concerned about the community men's national him leaving that, but in terms of Toronto FC, I think this is a signing that will maybe not you know, see the results maybe next one or even two years. I think it's something that will make TSC, you know, get to the playoffs again. In my opinion.
0: so, Raheem, is that then your just totally reasonable expectations? Knowing a lot of other stuff were to happen, like just finishing eighth or seventh in the Eastern Conference, that's success or that's proof of heading in the right direction for you in twenty
1: twenty four. Um. To be honest, like I predicted, TFC to make the playoffs and they didn't the last few years, so I'm not sure what to expect from Toronto FC. I think I think right now it's just rebuilding. Um, There's a lot of problems with TFC. Um, I think making the playoffs would be a positive. Like I I don't expect them to compete the MS Cup or be near the top, but If they can make the playoffs, I think that would be a start. I remember when TFC became that team that won the MLS Cup in 2017, they had a lot of uh, troubles. Uh, That first year where they, like, got Michael Bradley, they missed the playoffs. The second year of that rebuilding phase, they got beaten up by the Montreal Impact, now got CF Montreal in the 2015 MLS Cup playoffs. So I I I'm seeing it like more as a project in that how John Hudson will rebuild this team because I, I feel that there's a lot of problems with CFC. I don't think it's something that can be changed overnight.
0: Uh, let's keep the uh, Canadian soccer focus that we have going on. Obviously, Raheem, you have the. Um, men's national team will be taking on Jamaica in the upcoming quarter finals of the CONCACAF Nations League. Um, but uh, you know, um Raheem, what can you tell us given uh as we see the women's calendar come to a close for the year about Christine Sinclair and then also what's going on Canadian Premier League given we've got such big gaps in the MLS calendar.
1: So Christine Sinclair I'll be going to go down as I'll be well, at least in Canada, is probably the greatest player to ever play the game, or at least the greatest Canadian to ever play for red and white. Um, there are a few moments that I remember. Obviously, um, I think the one that people talk about the most was that Canada USA game in 2012. Um, even though Canada lost that game, um, people say that game and also. In the lesser except the win where they won bronze against France in the Olympics. That is basically where the national team got popularity. Because before 2012, I don't think Canadian women's soccer team was that much in the spotlight. And I think 2012 kind of made Canadian women's national team more popular. And then, um, you know, you see that game against Jamaica in the Demo field, um, in the women's game uh, for uh, Olympic qualifying, highest attendance ever for a uh, men's or women's game in Ontario. In fact, that game that was played against Jamaica had a higher attendance than the one where Canada qualified for the World Cup where they beat Jamaica or nothing. So um, obviously the game has grown quite a lot. And obviously uh, I think Sinclair going that penalty in the home World Cup in 2015, And then I remember her saying, "You know, she wasn't the goal scorer like she was in the 2012 Olympics, but when I look at the Olympics in Tokyo, she was, you know, drawing fouls. She was making defensive plays. She, without her, she would not. They would not have won the Olympics in 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 Tokyo 2020, which actually took place um, a bit later because of the COVID 19 pandemic. So." Um, that's what I would say about that. In terms of the Canadian Premier League, um Forge F C have now won their fourth championship in five years. Um, I guess they can be considered a dynasty, um, like what DC United was early the MLS. Um Cavalry FC was actually the better team of the year. They they were they were ahead by quite a large large margin in the CPL standings but um the thing is that for Jesse they were the only team from CPL in the old CONCACAF Champions League to make it to the CONCACAF Champions League via the other CONCACAF um, club competition. And then making the um Concretia Champions League it was quite a big deal in the case of a big Mexican team in the round of sixteen. So I, I think for a you know for Hamilton for um, so a city that is mostly known for their CFL team, the Hamilton Tiger Caps, there have been teams that have been come and gone, but I think Forge FC have established themselves as a permanent resident in the Hamilton sports team. And it will be interesting how Forge FC and Cavalry FC do in the Comic Cup Champions Cup next year. Um, I think they were the two strongest teams in the CTL It'll
0: be interesting how they um... Good stuff there, Raheem. Uh, we'll just uh, touch on, we'll uh, close out some WOSO conversations by talking about the NWSL. Um, you know, on the weekend, you had Gotham FC defeating OL Rain in uh, the NWSL final. Um, and so, but the, the storyline, unfortunately, out of this game was you had Ashlyn Harris on one side. Gotham FC and then on the other side with oil rain you had Megan Rapino both playing in their final games at all competitively they've retired from the national team they've played in their last women's world cup they're not going to play in the olympics and then obviously they were finishing out their club careers and so it was a wonderful storyline of these 2 longtime national team teammates oppositions when it came to the club game and the one thing that you didn't have in terms of Megan Rapinoe's uh, resume as an American women's soccer player was she had not won the uh, she not want a final in the NWSL, and in the opening couple of minutes, she sustains an injury. She has to come out of the game, and then she says uh, after the game that she believes it's a torn Achilles. Obviously not something that will be relevant for her next year because she won't be playing, but just incredibly disappointing that a major injury that we know can impact people even after their playing careers are over was ultimately what did it in. And from that point, I think it was really just a, a shock for... Um, for OL Reign, and Gotham were certainly the better team. Uh, Lynn Williams scores in the 24th minute. Rose Lowell with great effort to, uh, tie it in the 29th. But then just before halftime, you had Esther Gonzalez, World Cup winner with the Spanish women's national team, uh, ends up, uh, scoring the winner. And then Gotham see it out as well. So, um, good for Ashlyn Harris. Good for Gotham FC. We're a little bit of a, a team of destiny that you saw, um, going through. These playoffs, especially with the way that they knocked out Portland Thorns in the semifinals for them to go through. But um, as much as that was a success for Gotham FC, um, you know, and a display of what the sport, I think, is clearly capable of doing between the domestic talent and the international talent, unfortunately... The one thing that I remember about this game was it was the game where I was looking forward to seeing Megan Rapinoe play in her final game and she gets injured and she gets subbed out and then her team loses and she could not help them. And so Megan Rapinoe, still an absolute legend, still one of the greatest women's players in the history of our nation. But unfortunately, the final year of her career and in particularly the final games that she played were horribly disappointing because you had her really being a reduced to being a super sub role on the women's national team that struggled for long stretches to create chances and score goals and Megan Rapinoe's final contribution for the United States women's national team was a missed penalty in an elimination game that saw them not defend their back-to-back women's World Cup title and her final contribution as a club player and as a professional player is, you know, Limping off the field with probably a torn Achilles, so heartbreaking for her. Still an absolute legend, though that cannot be understated. um Raheem, let's move on to the Concacaf Nations League. We've got Costa Rica versus Panama, which is maybe the one pickums that you have in here. Jamaica's taking on Canada. The United States is taking down Trinidad and Tobago, and then Honduras is taking on Mexico. Um, you know some interesting tactics that we've seen with a little bit of a hybrid lineup from pretty much everybody particularly the big 3 when it comes to the United States, Mexico and Canada um dealing with some players that are obviously in a weird window for the international window um and a lot some of those players being based in Europe some of those players dealing with injuries Christian Pulisic for the United States for example, but I still feel pretty confident based on the format that we have for the nation's league, that those three matchups are going to come up chalk. And maybe the one interesting one you have is the uh, baby Tico's taking on a Panamanian team, but I still feel pretty confident. Whoever wins that will be the fourth best team to go on to the semis. Raheem, what do you see in the nation's league? And what do you see given the state of the Canadian men's national team?
1: I I agree with the U.S. and Mexico. I, I believe those two will advance. And I also believe that possibly for Panama, that would be a very tight match. Um, they're both very even teams. Um With Canada, the thing is, is that since they qualified for the World Cup, they haven't been in the best form. Um, But I don't think that's been the biggest problem. The biggest problem is if you think about why John Hurdman left the team, I felt like it was because of the resources to the Canadian men's national. And that has, they should have played more than one friendly recently. They won't take, the only game they've played recently was their loss against Japan. Um I do expect them to get past Jamaica, but I would not be surprised if Jamaica fans, they are a team that did really well in the Gold Cup. Um and obviously, for all of the yellow, he's he's kind of been put in a bad position in a way because he's only had one game with these players, and now he has to go to a major competition where he might have should have had um three games probably in this competition. Um, obviously, um, Canada beat Jamaica in the world to qualify for the World Cup, so they might feel confident on that. But Canada feels like they're in a transition with the head coach, um, and is trying to prove himself. And it's going to be interesting because I think Jamaica is what Canada was before they rose last, um, in 2018, 2019, when they rose and became that new, uh, one um, so of the um, for the people who were qualifying, or at least the, actually, 2020. Um, but, the, so this is a dangerous matchup, for um, me, in my opinion. Mm
0: hmm. Um, I think the Trinidad and Tobago matchup is relatively straightforward, Raheem. I won't go through the whole roster that you have for the United States wins national team, but I think with uh, Tim Weah and with Christian Pulisic out, that's going to rely on them having more natural wingers. And so I think that means more playing time for Gio Reyna, which is obviously something everyone wants to see. And Who knows what's going on between the relationship that Gio now has with Greg Berhalter, given everything that happened going into the World Cup in in Qatar, and then obviously what's happened since. Mostly, albeit that was mostly beef between his parents and him and his family, rather than directly between the player and the coach themselves. But they appear to have found some form of peace in that. Gio's getting called up, right? So we'll see whether or not he, you know, starts and plays 100 plus minutes across the two games that you have. Um the against Trinidad and Tobago and then I think on the other side you've got the two Aronson brothers who are coming in who are currently both playing in Germany Paxton and Brendan who are very similar players they'll be the more pressy break people down win second balls kind of ones and then I think I think this is this is set up really well to allow Geo to cook to allow um, I think the midfield which is absolutely stacked with a bunch of different players who can play in different ways and fit and be different pieces in that midfield to just set them up to get high-quality chances to Florian Balogun, which he's shown with the national team, he's shown in his club career in the last year and a half, that you get that, then he will score goals. And I still think while you've got mostly young players on this team, and especially Christian Pulisic would have been the one big player who would have been a part of Kuva, who's he's out, obviously. I still, I have to believe the players know that there's an emotional feeling that the fan base and the federation has towards Trinidad and Tobago, to where they will not take them lightly because they know what can happen if they do. And they know what emotionally it means for the United States to beat and outplay and school Trinidad and Tobago. So I have to believe that's something that while Greg Borhalter wasn't the head coach, and I'm not sure any of these players were a part of this team or a significant part of that team that lost in 2017 are aware of that. And they're taking this very seriously. And ultimately, they will get the job done kind of the one big roster complaint that I've seen is people wanting Austin Trusty or one of the other European center backs to really get an opportunity. I think Greg's done a good job of bringing in fringe guys who are ultimately going to fill that bench role or fill out that 30 man roster come the, uh, 2026 world cup. So he's not just bringing in guys who are young, who are a big part of the last world cup cycle, but he's bringing in other guys who can work their way in. I look at guys like Tillman, Um, I look at uh, Lund uh, Hund, uh, the one, the Scandinavian one as well. And so I think he's done a good job with that. Maybe the one exception there of players that we didn't already know or haven't already gotten their opportunity with the national team has been at center back. And most of the frustrations were directed uh, towards uh, towards not Anthony Robinson, but Miles Robinson, who's playing in Major League Soccer right now. And so I could see an argument behind that, but we know that Tim Ream is fantastic and an ageless wonder for this national team and is such a big part of what they try to do from a possession standpoint and from a leadership standpoint out of the back, especially with no Tyler Adams in it, the sixth in this role. I think that's going to be critical. So Tim Ream going to play, obviously. And I think Chris, Chris Richards and Cameron Carter-Vickers are both ahead of Miles Robinson at the center back role depth chart on this team, and I think both of them would be ahead any of the other European-based center backs that you could have, and so I look forward to seeing those three players get 85% of the center back minutes that you have between these two games, and certainly keep things tidy at the back against Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, that does it for the roundtable. So Raheem, uh, we'll move on to Pickham. So Raheem, I'll just ask for you. We're not going to do um, predictions about legs or score lines or nuance and everything. Just give me the four teams that will advance to the MLS conference finals, and then the four teams that will advance out of this Nations League uh, international window.
1: For MLS, I'm going to say Seattle. Houston, actually, no, yeah, Seattle, Houston, uh, FC Cincinnati, and, uh, Columbus. For the Nations League, I would say Mexico, U.S., uh, I believe Canada will come and win as well. Um, I think, I'm going to go
0: with Panama. Okay, I will agree with you when it comes to MLS Raheem. I think Columbus is the only road team to win, but then Cincinnati, Houston, and Seattle. And then um, I will go chalk in terms of the three big matchups in Nations League. So Mexico, United States, and Canada. Um And give me Costa Rica over Panama in a very close barn burner that maybe they don't deserve, but they find a way to see out that result. Um, So that will do it for us, Raheem. I don't have any last words, but I've got some ad reads to do, so I will throw it to you, Raheem. Any last words that you have, soccer-related or otherwise? Um,
1: So I guess um, soccer-related, Christine Sinclair will be playing her last two games as a player of the Team Women's National team in December. Uh that we playing Australia, uh both in British Columbia. Um one in um the Greater in, in Vic in Langford and then one at B C Pace in Vancouver will be her final game. Um so that will be one to note. I guess a non softer thing to note, I, I don't Watch the CFL often, but the Grey Cup final is going to be on November 19th between the Montreal Alouettes and the Winnipeg uh, Blue Lions. So uh, that'll be an interesting thing to know.
0: Okay, thank you for that, Raheem. Um, no last words from me, so I'll just uh, do our two other ad reads. First of all, Raheem. Are you tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates that you get from Nike and Adidas and some of the other big boys? Do you want a unique and completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday League squad, adult or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you design the kit of your dreams, Toronto FC related or otherwise at an affordable price. Their motto is any design you want. Seriously, listeners, let Icarus FC design the kit of your dreams uh, and your next kit at IcarusFC.com. And then uh, in the spirit of the international window, I want to thank our other sponsor, Roughneck Scarves. They are an official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, NWSL, and U.S. soccer merchandise. Get your custom scarves your group team or office at roughneckscarps.com. follow us on all the social media platforms listeners at last word sc rate review share subscribe wherever you get your podcast just search lws radio or last word on sports you'll find us and a bunch of other great content from our last word family and listeners we'll see you um after the american thanksgiving uh to look ahead to the mls cup final we'll see you then